This is exactly right. Kurt, I'm going to introduce a story to start the episode. What do you think about that? Uh, I love it. I love it. Okay. Changing it all around. Man attacks wasp's nest with flamethrower, is badly stung, and sets fire to the tree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's bananas. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Bananas. I am one of your hosts, Kurt Brownler. And I'm the second banana, Scotty Landis. Uh, I'm glad to see Kurt again. He's been away for a little bit. This is the only time I ever get to meet new people and catch up with my good buddy. So welcome back to We're the back. Bananas program. Yeah, we took all of August off from recording, so which means we had a very busy July and then a not busy August, which was very nice. But mm-hmm. we're back in the swing of things, and it's exciting Woo! to be here. And I'm very excited to bring on our guest today. Our guest today is an ornithologist, birder, science communicator, and co-creator of Black Birders Week. You may know her as Hood Naturalist on Twitter. Please welcome Karina Newsome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I love you guys. <laughs> Oh, well, we're so excited to have you on to talk about some dumb stuff. We love having very, very smart people on to talk about really stupid things. Yes, we like for your side, the the intelligentsia, to see what's going on down here with the Garbage Pail Kids. Uh, It feels right. Um, I just nodded. So, you know, I have been – I'm so excited that you're a birder. Uh, and an ornithologist because I have been I've been writing comedy for many years and I have so much bird material. True, I've been writing so many jokes about birds. Um, and recently, I wrote, I was trying to write this joke about like bird scientists and how they <laughs> name birds because birds have such fucking weird names like <laughs> booby and titmouse and peacock. Like peacock is crazy. Nobody talks about it. But <laughs> I was just googling. I'm so excited to share this with you guys. So I just put into Google bird names because I wanted to see what was the craziest ones I could find. And literally it has, you know, how Google like has pictures. They have like all the pictures. Like if you Google like uh, famous actress, they'll have like all the pictures right across the top. Oh, I love that. Google chooses for you. So for bird names, it's just a bunch of birds, all of their pictures. And so it just goes cockatoos, kiwi, American robin, old world sparrow, toucan Sam, lark, common blackbird. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a picture of toucan Sam from the Fruit Loops box. I mean, it's like he's it's, earned that. You know what I mean? He's definitely earned He's it. a famous bird. That is one famous bird. It's maybe the f- most famous bird, yeah. So I just wanted to share that with you. That's rich. I'm uh, going to have to look that up. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, so welcome to the show. Tell us, so you created something called Black Birders Week. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I was one of uh, about probably 30 organizers who mm-hmm. co-organized Black Birders Week. And it essentially was born out of a group chat of friends. And then um, that was for about a year. And then one day, Christian Cooper, who is a birder, black man, um, and he works with New York Audubon in New York City. He was birding, and he had a this racist incident um, take place in Central Park with a white we woman. We remember. Yeah. 
Oh, what a treat so, she was. What a what a nice yeah. what a what a great humanitarian. Just pleasant. Yeah. So I you know, we all saw that. Some of us some of them know him personally because oh. some of them are from New York and we but many of us have heard of him for sure because he's a well known birder and a great human being. And so we were just mortified, right? Not surprised yeah. because this happens a lot to black people. Um so uh, a young woman in the group chat was like, We need to do something to celebrate black people who bird, you yes. know, and then ideas just started flowing. And within uh, like two days, 48 hours, probably or less, we as a group had crafted an entire week of like online events, celebrating yeah. black people, just like, you know, kind of building community so that people who are in this space who maybe have never seen another black person doing birding, which is typical because mm-hmm. all of us are the usually one of one or two black people on any given birding trip uh-huh. or, you know, outdoor adventure so we don't get to see that but to see online on twitter and instagram facebook all these black people from literally around the world cool. just sharing pictures of them minding their business doing burning <laughs> stuff not being bothered you know what i mean it was just it was oh. wonderful um and we got to have all kinds of great conversations with um um birders around the world around the country and christian cooper he joined us as well amazing and, yeah, like lots of um, organizations really like amplified our voices, like National Audubon and different zoos like Columbus Zoo, even the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, which I didn't know that they would be interested in getting involved in something like this. They were supporting us all the way. So it was much bigger than we could have expected. Amazing. Oh, that's great. And is it going to be an annual thing now? Yeah, that's the plan. I think the plan is to have a Black Birders Week every every year. Oh, that's great. That's so I cool. I look forward to the next one. <laughs> that's too. so amazing. Um, do you guys ready to talk about some dumb, dumb stuff? Yeah. Please. You want me to get back into this dumb story? Okay. Man attacks, Give it to me. Man attacks wasps nest with flamethrower, is badly stung, and sets fire to tree. This is written by our best buddy, Sophie Grubb. And, and you know, if you're going to do a bug story, you got to put <laughs> Sophie Grubb on this one. Um, <laughs> God, you got you to gotta have Sophie Grubb covering oh, all your bizarre insect news. Poor Sophie. <laughs> She's just at her desk, and then the editor comes up. I got another one for you, Sophie. It's just like, it's another fucking bug story, John. Another fucking bug story. He's like, it's got a flamethrower. Yeah. Uh, Somersetlive.com. So a man was left, quote, significantly stung and in need of firefighters' help after scorching a wasp nest uh, with a flamethrower. Fire crews were called out to a home in Shaftesbury last night after the man tried to destroy a wasp nest using the blazing weapon. The swarm of insects did not take kindly to the inferno. Shocker. Hugely shocking. <laughs> and, atta- <laughs> and attacked him with their stinging tails in retaliation. De- uh, Devon and Somerset Fire and Rescue Services tweeted shortly before 8 p.m. The occupier had attempted to destroy a wasp nest using a flamethrower. He not only set the tree alight, but got stung. Um, they had to hose down the tree, presumably risking getting stung themselves, but they did not prov- provide further details about the man or his injuries. So, oh my God. I love trying to use fire to solve a small problem. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I was once hired by my boss at the time. I was probably 16, 17 years old. Uh, hired by him to go up 
to his lake. He had a lake house somewhere in New Jersey. Mm, and me be and my, my best friend, Bill Walsh, went up there. We were 17 years old. We got a bunch of beer. We had to clear. We had to rake, essentially rake the lawn, right? Mm-hmm. That was our job over the course of two days to rake this lawn. We were going to stay there. So we're like, great. We're going to hang out. We'll do the work and we'll get drunk and it'll be great. We get there and it's insane. Like the level of like it's never been raked. It's like four feet deep of leaves okay. around the whole thing. And we like start doing it and we're yes. like, this is impossible. There's no way that two people can do this in two days. And so our plan was is that we raked it all into a big pile mm-hmm. that was probably like four feet, five feet, six feet deep. Smart. And then dumped gasoline all over it thinking – we could just burn the leaves, but these leaves are all, they've been sitting, they're decomposing, they're all wet, they're not going to burn. And also what we didn't realize is that fumes light, not like liquid. The liquid of gasoline doesn't light, it's the fumes above it that lights. Oh. And so we poured all this gasoline all over it after we had worked all day long and like getting it into a pile. Oh boy. And then lit it and it just exploded. <laughs> and it, nothing caught on fire, it just blew up. All the leaves, so that they went all over the lawn. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was eight hours of work gone in one second because we blew it up. Cool. Oh my god. Yeah. So it's always a good. T- it's always a good idea to try and blow something up. You're always going to have a better, a bigger problem at the end. And that's yeah. That seems to be the trend. And it's like I've never used. So I, I'm, I'm thankfully not tried to use fire to solve any problems. Um, yes, you're very intelligent. Is... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, you know, just like more like cautious. <laughs> I will just say cautious. But I have, I understand the temptation to use fire on a wasp because I, so I used to be a zookeeper and a lot of my work was outside. Amazing. And there was one day, like there's like so many nooks and crannies for a wasp to say, this is a place I want to set up shop, right? And always in the worst place. So I was going out checking. I I took care of lots of animals, but that included rabbits, right? So I'm going out to check on the rabbits, not an endangered species, domestic animal, right? Didn't feel like it was worth risking my life to just like give them a few more pellets that morning, but it was. Went out there, <laughs> saw the wasp nest. I was like, you know what? I can kind of skirt around this, not, you know, not raise the alarm. This, I don't know if it was a cicada killer wasp or oh, it was yeah. something like that big, like yeah. huge. Right? Came out, stung the shit out of me, right? Like, straight <laughs> oh, up no. just. And I've not, and I like, I've been stung once in my life by anything, right? So this felt like, I actually like, like imagine like getting a, a purple nurple, but just like not on your nipple, like oh, somewhere yeah. else. Like it felt like that, like pinch, bruise, everything, right? So I was like, oh, forget this. So I went in and got a, you know, like a lunch tray that you would get like a yeah. lunch run. Lunch I've line. seen them. I've seen them. I went out. I went back out with my lunch tray that we would use for like primate food plates and things like that. I went back out. I saw the wasp. I was like, all right, we, we're going to war. That's what the what, that's what the tray was for. <laughs> you must. So I positioned myself. <clears throat> I got right in line. <laughs> And I hit this wasp, and let me tell you, when I hit it, it sounded like if I was hitting like a child over the head. <laughs> and that's how much wasp there was, and it didn't wild. die, but it at least gave me a moment to like change out the pellets for the for the domestic rabbit at the zoo. So that is like the only encounter where I've tried to use deadly force, and then it didn't work on a wasp. Yes, um, it seems like they can't they can't quite be killed not by fire, no. not by blood, but it's trauma. <laughs> not I anything. also. I also like that it was in the pen of a domestic rabbit. Like, if there's any animal in the zoo that you want to risk your life for, it's not an animal that you can find at a place where you just buy animals to have as pets. No. Right, right. Karina's <laughs> a diligent zookeeper, 
all animals are the same in her eyes. She's going out there. I do feel bad that the birds that live at zoos are overlooked. I think about this. I might have mentioned this before, but it's like you go to a zoo and then there's like pigeons and doves and robins hopping around. And you're like, get out of here, you. You're like, we're here for the big guys. We're here for the primates. Right, right. No, you're totally right. And actually, like, I whenever I'm at the zoo and people are like, oh, look at the, you know, whatever non-native animals are around. I'm like, but do you see this cardinal, though? Yeah. Like, do you see this red? It's yeah. gorgeous. So like, do you have a favorite bird? Great question. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah. What is it? What yeah, is yeah. it? I'm so excited. Um, the blue jay is my favorite bird. Beautiful um, bird. Yeah. Why? They are a very slept on species in North America because we're so used to them. It's like, oh, it's a blue jay. But it's like, can you imagine like if we didn't have blue jays and we like traveled to the tropics of South America or somewhere, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And saw a blue jay, mm-hmm. we would lose our minds. Mm-hmm. But we have them everywhere. So we're kind of just like, oh, it's a blue jay. Um, but the reason why my loyalty is so strong is because it was the first bird I learned about. Oh, cool. um, when I took ornithology. And so I just was, you know, I had actually never seen one. I was like, what? 20 years old never seen a blue jay wow so it was just kind of a monumentous uh moment for me yeah i can't remember the last time i've seen a blue jay but the but they are so striking they're really fucking intensely blue and also blue is such a rare color in the animal world as well i have a i think they're called like scrub jays or something like that out here they're And it comes back every day. My friend was like, if you put food out at a certain time of day, that bird will come every day. And the first few years I was here, it would just sit on the railing of my deck every day at like 3 p.m. And he was like, yeah, that's what they do. They're super smart. So I'm so jealous. I've never seen a scrub day before. Come over. Wear, yeah. wear a mask. <laughs> I just got COVID tested. I'm clean. Come over. Check out my scrub jays. <laughs> All right, you re- Kurt, hit you us guys with ready a for great another one? Dumb story. Busta Rhymes Island is real. <laughs> okay. This is sent in by Molly Ann McDonahue okay. or McDonough. Uh, she's at. <laughs> she has a very funny Instagram handle. It's at mmm. Uh, <laughs> she got it first. Good for you. Two M's. Three H's, three M's. Uh, So this is from the Boston Globe. This is an old story from 2009, but this man is still trying to do this. Okay. A man named Kevin O'Brien has named this island uh, in a pond that's right near his house. He's named it Buster Rhymes Island because he's a, this guy's a DJ, wedding DJ, sure. and he loves Busta Rhymes. And he said, quote, and this is from the Boston Globe, uh, an article written by James Reed, of course. Thank you, Jimmy. Mm, uh, favorite. It, it is, quote, from Kevin. This is a quote from Kevin. It is a very small island with rope swinging, blueberries, and stuff Busta would enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> what? <He> says, <laughs> Of the 40 by 40 foot plot of land in a pond about a half mile from his home. Uh, He has been, he looked up, so he's been trying to name it officially Buster Rhymes Island. Um, The United States Board on Geographic Names cannot name something until the person's been dead for at least five years. So what he's trying to do, he's he's already changed on Google Maps. So if you go and Google Buster Rhymes Island, it'll come up. Very cool. Uh, But uh, so what he's been trying to do is. Kill Buster Rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> Buster Rhymes must know about this at this time because this so. was 2009, uh, and so he's been maintaining it for at this point 
12 years, 13 years, and if he maintains it for 20 years, legally, he, he can own it. Oh. Uh, and so he's, like, set up a rope sling. He's the one who planted black or blueberries or whatever on it. Uh, and so he said, he said he's been a Busta Rhymes fan since he was 13. Okay. Uh, and he would love for the for the for the for Busta to come and check out his island. <laughs> Wait, but there's no comment from Busta Rhymes in this. Article. I have looked this up. Not even in the Wikipedia is mm. there a, a reference that Busta has, Busta Rhymes has uh, has talked about this. And also, there is a uh, a very good podcast on this. Oh, really? Um, by the name of Ninety Nine Percent Invisible, you can go and they have an entire. It's all about naming places and how names come about. Um, and so you can go listen to that. And I got wow. a bunch of information from, this, uh, from them as well. But yeah, pretty great. Love that guy. I love the idea that you can just take care of a place for 20 years and then you can, it's yours. Right. Where does it stop? Like, I, I want to know how far I can go with that, what I can own by caring for something for 20 years. That's new. <laughs> Kurt and, I, yeah, right? Kurt and I tried to start a micronation once for one of these projects we were working on because oh, that's you right. can we were like looking into it and I forget how many there are, but there were like hundreds around the world where these people sometimes it'll be like an old oil derrick, sometimes it'll just be like an uninhabited island, and people there aren't that many steps you have to take to claim a place as a micronation, and usually the population's to, one person. Yeah, you have to have a flag, you have to have a currency. And I think you have to have passports, and then that's it. Like, you're a nation. <laughs> you can be recognized by the UN. Like, you as a person or the place where you live? Like, I think it has you. to be a physical location. Okay. Yeah. What? Um, and also, that's not already within another nation, I think. Sure. Like, there's, like, some um, uh, old World War II, uh, I don't know what you even call them, Derricks? Yeah, right. That are, like, out in the in the North Atlantic Ocean right. like off the coast of England, and they used to be gun turrets uh, to protect England, uh, but now they're abandoned, and some you know some weirdo bought them all and then put server <laughs> farms in there and then declared them uh, its own nation so that no one could like come and find out what's on those computers. Unsettling, but very cool. It is unsettling. <laughs> <laughs> is there a is there a place that is widely regarded as like the birder destination? Like for any of our listeners who are around the neighborhood quarantine birders these days, I know a lot of people are picking up the binoculars because it's like it's like nature's Pokemon Go. You can just go out there and find that, stuff. Yeah. Is there is a place I, or a country or an island where everybody I mean, besides like the Galapagos or something, which is like <laughs> so played out. Um is there a place that you've always wanted to go that you haven't gone yet? So for me, um, Colombia uh, is really Ooh. well known for their bird diversity. Ooh. South America, of course, is just, you know, teeming with birds. But oh, yeah. Colombia. Um, but then my the place I want to go first is Costa Rica because oh, yeah. Costa Rica has, like, the most biodiversity, just generally speaking, oh, yeah. of any place oh. on the planet, you know. So that's where I want to go to see birds and, you know, to go herping, which is looking for Reptiles and amphibians, awful Ooh. word, but that's what it's called. Um, wait, wait, wait. It's called herping? Well, herpetology, herping. buddy. H-E-R-P? H-E-R-P-I-N-G. And it's from what? Herpetology is a study of reptiles. Yeah. Oh. And they're called herpetofauna is reptiles and amphibians. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. You, I love learning things. Yeah. <laughs> um, I went yeah. to Costa Rica. I... 
I went and uh, I usually used to do a trip where I would travel alone. I will acknowledge my giant white male privilege. Uh, and I <laughs> went to Costa Rica and rented a 4x4 and drove around for about, I guess, three weeks. And the highlight was in Monteverde where we went in the cloud jungle and saw tons of birds. They don't really have a lot of reptiles or amphibians up there because it's pretty cold or temperate. Tons of birds. Saw like the toucan, all these things. But when I got there, the day I got my rental car, I sat down and I broke my sunglasses. So the right lens popped out. (laughs) So instead of buying new ones, I just wore sunglasses traveling alone uh, with one lens popped out the entire time. Every photo of me from that trip, I only have sunglasses on with one. And I was the only – I'm 6'3". And I went on this tour. It was all families. And our, our tour guide is like, um, hola, my name is Sergio. I'm going to be giving you a tour of the cloud jungle. Please follow me. We have swinging bridges. We have hanging bridges. And it was incredible. We saw beautiful things. And then about 20 minutes into the tour, we're about to cross the longest bridge at this, at this reserve. And he goes, and what is my name again? And I'm really good with names. I like names. I'm a writer, so I put them in scripts all the time. And no, every, all these families are just like nervous, like grandma and the kids are like, uh. And I'm just standing in the back and I just go, Sergio. <laughs> and he started laughing. And they all turn around and see me wearing one sunglass lens. And like you could just sense hands going around children's like waist, like pulling them closer. And then by the end, they were like, will you take pictures of us? Um it was the greatest trip of my life, but I saw gorgeous birds, you know, half tinted, half not tinted, but right. it's the best. Oh, my goodness. I'm so jealous. But I have to ask, like, was it benefiting you to have just one lens um, at all, or was it more of a commitment to the glasses themselves? It was uh, – I commit to – comedy bits very hard and will do them for mm-hmm. years sometimes decades if i like them enough and that one i just was like you know what nobody knows me here i'll probably never see any of these people again i'm gonna give them something to talk about and then i'm like ultra polite and like they pump gas for you down there and it's usually women that are working the gas pumps so like i didn't know that the first time i pulled in the woman like looks in sees me with one glass and like stepped <laughs> Stepped back as uh-uh. in broken Spanish. I'm like, fill her up. Um, no, you pump your own gas. Yeah, so they were, yeah, they were basically like, pump your own glass, Winky. And I was like, you got it. <laughs> winky. <laughs> there it is. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Um, but before we do, Scotty, yes, sir. give us a title to send us out. Naked man arrested after repeatedly going through Taco Bell drive through <laughs> Our guest mm. today is ornithologist and birder Karina Newsom. Karina, uh, since and th- you know, since we're all stuck in our house yes. uh, with nowhere to go, uh, how does one start birding? Is it simply by looking at a bird, or is there like a cool way to start birding? You know, that's a great question, and the word birding makes it sounds like there's more involved, and there's really yeah. not. So to start <laughs> birding, you just go outside, whatever bird is closest to you, Love that. loudest, whatever you notice first, 
look at it. And there are lots of different ways you can identify birds. I think identifying birds is one of the more like monumentous challenges that people are like, you know, I don't know how to do that. You don't need to have a physical field guide. Um, if you have a phone, you can download the an app called Merlin, M-E-R-L-I-N, which is it. a bird identification app. Yeah. And you, I think on that app, you can even take pictures of what you're seeing and it can help you identify. Um, but that is a really quick way to know, okay, what species am I looking at? Mm -hmm. And then what I would encourage you to do is to then dig into that species, figure out what it eats, um, where it's typically found. Is it migratory? So is cool. it only here right now and it's going to be gone later? Learn a little bit about what's called its life history. And that way, as you're, you know, moving through your life, if you go outside at all right now very much, you'll kind of be able to pick up on that bird and identify it a lot more easily because oh, you cool. know who it is, you know. And then you just add species to that to that list of yours. And then before you know it, you're accumulating what we call your life list of birds, the number of birds you've seen over the course of your life. Oh, it's like a bucket list. It, yeah. Well, I, it's like the opposite of a bucket list. It's what you've already seen. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it in the fact that it just gives you like, it's like all these little Easter eggs in an ordinarily like kind of boring environment. All of a sudden you kind of have all these things to explore. And I didn't even, I never cared about birds other than thinking they're very funny. Like I just think <laughs> a pigeon is an inherently funny animal. Correct. Um, uh, but I started getting into it when, when my daughter, I, we live right near the LA river uh, in Los Angeles which is like, you know, it's a concrete canyon, but then in the middle there's greenery, and the, the amount of birds down there is fucking crazy. Yeah. So I would always walk with my daughter, aunt, who's three, and so she would always be asking about this bird and that bird. And so I got a Sibley's, and we go down, we look at them, we like talk about it and everything. We got great blue herons. We have oh. uh, uh, just great, great uh, cranes, white cranes. Um, like they're really or egrets, I guess. Yeah, I yeah, know. yeah. Great but egret, it yeah. is crazy seeing them. They're they look like fucking dinosaurs. Those animals. Yeah. Have you, and listen, yeah. if you get the chance to Google baby heron or egret, they are very much dinosaurs. Like you, you would think that that was oh. a dinosaur first, and of course, technically they are. But like when they're babies, those herons and egrets. Oh my gosh, nothing oh, like wow. that. Yeah. Nice. I'm going to check it out. Scott, All right. Here we go. Naked story. Taco Bell drive through This is from Monique Galindo. <laughs> Monique Galindo DM'd us on Instagram. Thank you, Monique. Six, <laughs> a 61-year-old. I mean, already uh, nobody wants to see a 61-year-old naked, uh, especially not man. Um, just looks like a sack of wet laundry with an acorn a 61 year old oklahoma city <laughs> man was really craving some late night taco bell christopher sale was recently arrested uh after going through the taco bell drive-thru the thing was he was completely naked while doing so this gets interesting sale uh initially ordered his food from the taco bell on south meridian and was all set to pay for his meal when he asked the employee for an additional taco he got his taco, but then he stayed in line and asked for more sauce. He then asked for more napkins and then still did not leave the drive through He would eventually leave the premises, but almost immediately returned to ask for more sauce. This is, uh. this is when employees finally grew uncomfortable enough to alert the authorities. When police detained Sale, he told them he was hungry and that all his clothes were in the washer. He also uh, I know. He also stated that quote he didn't know it was against the law to drive naked end quote. There we go. Th this is and also like 
He wanted to be. He wanted this to happen. Of course, like he he got away with it like four times. Yes. Yeah. He could have just been happy. He needed that thing. He needed that extra attention. Also, I like that the Taco Bell people are like, four times is fine. Yeah. We don't give a shit. Yeah. The fifth time is you're annoying us, and now we're going to call the cops. They're like extra napkins? Yeah, put them on your lap, man. Right. Listen, spread them out. I feel like Taco Bell deals with the worst kind of mess. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where the four times comes yeah. in. Because every I, like I've just heard of random ranging from crazy to like just, you know, horribly offensive, like, situations that happen and it's always a taco bell so i think their threshold is pretty high for what they yes. will tolerate Good call. um you know so this is this is unfortunate that he tried them a fifth time um i'm sure nudist uh there's probably nudist bur- uh birding there's got to be nudist birding it's probably very popular there's got to be there's it, that crossover seems to be because a lot of older people like to get into birding and a lot of older people like to get into naturalism mm-hmm. is what they like to call it. You're right. I bet you there's a ton. They get the slogan could be nothing, nothing, nothing but binoculars. <laughs> 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 oh my God. Um, I second. My wheels are spinning now. <laughs> yeah, write it down. Um, Kurt went to a nudist camp once. Uh, for, I did go. Yeah. I went to a nudist. I used to have this uh, podcast called Wedlock. It was me and my wife talking about marriage, and we went to a nudist resort and uh, walked around naked for a day. Uh, and honestly, it was so freeing mm-hmm. and great. I to- We both totally – neither of us have ever been like, we want to go to a nudist resort. We both – Imagine going back at some point because the reason people said they liked it was because when you meet someone, you have no idea of like what they do for a living. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't know like if this guy's a doctor, this guy's a plumber, like whatever. It's just mm. you're naked and it's like an equalizer of sorts, um, which was very interesting. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was pretty fun to walk around naked. It was also 38 degrees then. Wow. In Arizona. So no one else was Wait, naked. Wait, I'm confused. So you it were naked in 38 cold. degrees? Yeah. Wow. Uh, the pools were very warm uh, and everything like that, but it was, no one else was naked. Everyone else had clothes on who were nudists, but they're like, no, it's too cold for today. We're going to keep they're our clothes They're reasonable. On. And so you didn't, but like you didn't feel weird being the only naked people? No, oh. because it was like, we knew that they all did it. Do you know what I mean? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. But it's not it's not a real popular place uh, in January in Arizona. <laughs> oh it's more of a summertime event. I um I used to work uh, this one summer. I worked in Pensacola Beach at this restaurant, and there was a chef there, a cook really, a cook that worked there. Who I would open up in the mornings. I was a server or a bartender, and I would set everything up, get all the tables ready, all that kind of thing. And one day, the cops come. And the managers go over, and they're like, yeah, can we help you? And they're like, yeah, can we speak? And so we had a nickname for this cook, and which is probably good, uh, but we used to call him Beetlejuice because he looked like the movie Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. So uh, they were like, can we speak to him? And so this guy comes out, and he's talking to him. I'm like literally cleaning sugar caddies and marrying ketchups and stuff. And he kind of is like, what? I can like hear his side of it, not the cop side. He's like, what? No. Oh, my God. Just disgusting. All stuff. He goes back in the kitchen, and later on, like, we start serving and stuff, and we, the word comes around uh, that it's, like, somebody that worked at the toll booth when you come into Pensacola Beach said that he had driven through naked, and that 
uh, it had happened before and that they got the license plate. And so this Beetlejuice denies this. And so all of us suddenly, you know when like you hear that rumor and you want to be open-minded about stuff, but you suddenly, there's just like, you're like, he's not getting invited to poker night type of thing. So about two weeks go by, and he started bringing it up like, can you believe this shit? Like, can you believe? I mean, I, like, no. And we're like, all right, you're making yourself sound way more guilty. Um, so like two weeks go by, and I'm coming into work, and there's like so many cops there. And I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. Uh, it's like 9 a.m. And <laughs> so I guess what happened is Beetle had gotten asked to open and pre- prep all the food. <laughs> it was a two-story restaurant on the Pensacola Boardwalk, right near the clamshell for anybody listening. And um, uh, a family was taking photos on the boardwalk, and they looked up and saw a man doing naked jumping jacks in the upstairs dining room and called the police, and it was him, and he got arrested. But he was fully nude. Uh, I like to think he was wearing a chef's hat. I don't know this for sure. And doing (laughs) jumping jacks in a glass plate window. Nothing's open yet. And this whole family that's just like, hey, there's a setting sun, Grandpa. And he's like, yes, there is. And then they arrested him, and I never saw him again. But everybody was like... Well, he was an exhibitionist, maybe worse. Jumping while naked? Jumping like, jacks. Like do anything, jumping but jacks. don't jump. Yes. Jump, I know. That's a lot of flapping. <laughs> too much flapping. It's a lot of folds. Oh, yeah. my goodness. <laughs> it wasn't good for drumming up business, I'll tell you that much. You know? <laughs> get one of those fan guys that we like so much. Just get a big fan guy. We don't need that. <laughs> Beetle, we don't need that. <laughs> All right. Hit us, Kurt. You want another one? Yeah, baby. So this is uh, – there's so many different articles about this guy. Um, it, this guy is the, the mole man of Hackney. Uh, <laughs> okay. And so this is about a house at 121 Mortimer Road in Hackney, East London, that this man, he was kicked out of the house in 2012, it looks like. Okay. He inherited the house in the 1960s. Uh, his name is William Little, who is known as the Mole Man. Sure. Uh, and he had hundreds of tunnels that he had dug from just <laughs> underneath his house what? out to around the neighborhood. Amazing. And he's never really given any reason for why he used to do it. Um, and when asked like how it started, he said, I first tried to dig a wine cellar, and then the cellar doubled, and so on. But the idea that I dug tunnels <laughs> under other people's houses is rubbish. I just have a big basement. It's gone deep enough to hit the water table. That's the lowest you could go. Whoa. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, he has it... He, like, they, he's met up with underground, with, like, rail lines and stuff like that. Um, and people just tried to figure out like, why did he do it? He's just a crazy man. Um, but eventually they had to take, like they had to the, buy the state had to buy the house from him and then fill it in like thousands of tons of concrete it took to fill in all of the tunnels that he had done from 1960 to 2012. And then he, when asked like, Oh, you know, like what's going on? Why are you doing this? He said, quote, uh, and this is these are quotes from uh, the Guardian. This was sent in by a Carolyn B. Thank at you, Stitcher. Thank you, Carolyn B. Uh, and this was written by. There is no credit. Oh, Paul Lewis. Thank oh, you. Oh, Paul's great. Uh, 
Quote, I don't mind the title of inventor, he said. Inventing things that don't work is a brilliant thing, you know. Holes? People are always asking you what the big secret is. And you know what? There isn't one. Hey, William Little, you didn't invent holes, bud. Holes have been around for a long time. (laughs) You said I wouldn't mind. (laughs) You didn't invent holes. That is the most I've laughed on this podcast ever. You didn't invent holes, pal. But he is... He's trying to invent, like, he's inventing those specific tunnels, uh, I guess. <laughs> and that was it. No other, no further explanation, just and so on, and no. you can call and the it, inventor. And then it was taken, so the, the, the state took it over, mm-hmm. and they filled in all the holes, and then along comes uh, this artist okay. uh, by the name of Sue Webster, Susan Webster, uh, who bought it. In 2000-something, like, uh, and then she had, and this is this woman, I've actually seen her work. I was, like, reading this article, and then I'd seen her work. She does this really cool thing called shadow shadow sculptures, Mm -hmm. and it's out of garbage. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you guys have ever seen these, but literally, you walk into a room, and you just see a fucking pile of trash. It's a pile of fucking trash. But then you look at the shadow on the wall, and it is, like, perfectly done figures of human beings like in different crouching positions and the detail in the shadow is in like infinitesimally perfect so it looks exactly like it's like a man and a woman sitting on a chair with their backs to each Mm -hmm. other but then when you look at the thing it's just a bunch of fucking uh you know thrown away wrappers and cigarette butts and and pepsi cans and stuff so anyway, this woman's a multi, multi, multi millionaire. So she bought the house and now has uh, re-excavated oh my God. all of the different tunnels and made them into fucking crazy rooms in this crazy house she now owns. It's very fat, fat. Yeah, that's a cool one. Underground birds. I, like... <laughs> Karina, do they exist? Do they exist? Can birds dig holes, or did William Little invent holes? Oh no. <laughs> The burrowing are owl. There any, <laughs> burrowing owl. Are there any burrowing burrowing birds? Burrowing owl. Mm-hmm. A burrowing owl. They live underground. They come up, stare at you like you did something wrong, oh. find food, go back in their tunnels. So oh, he is definitely shit. Yeah, they they have it's funny because so they, they'll live in, you know, sometimes like family groups of I don't know, like six birds, and they'll they'll use the tunnels that other animals have built, you know, oftentimes as well. And so they'll they'll be underground and they'll emerge. Um, and the look on their face is just one of utter disappointment. So I love burrowing out faces. Um, would That's encourage cool. you to look that up as well. But yeah, birds go underground. So they'll actually they'll actually dig holes with their talons. Yeah. So I think they most often will utilize holes that kind of already exist in some way, but they will Classic. they are capable of yeah, digging themselves as well. Wow. That's pretty cool. I- owls are so crazy because we always thought of owls as like these the cartoon version is this like wise old thing and they're like Fearsome, fearsome hunters. They're fucking intense. Even the little, the little bitty ones too. Yeah. Oh yeah, that everybody just thinks is like the cutest thing in the world. The Furby, right? <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That's amazing. Um, this might be uh, a ground bird. I think I have a ground bird story. All right, give it to I'm us. I'm gonna let you guys guess. Uh, I'm gonna do a little fill in the blank here, and then and then really shock you so hard your core. Um, this one is from High Country News. It was written by Jackie Flynn Mogensen. Here's the headline. Sage grouse face a new threat? Question mark. 
So, Kurt, what do you think is threatening the sage grouse these days in Wyoming? Shoes. Great. Karina, any guess? Do you know this one? Uh, hordes of large, of, of small frogs. I'm Great. This is a shot in the dark. <laughs> Somehow those two combined to the correct answer. Kanye West. So... <laughs> So, the famous artist oh, Wyoming Ranch God. highlights a, a conservation battle surrounding the importance of this indicator species. The greater sage grouse has a very hard life. Aside from facing predators like foxes, bobcats, coyotes, and ground-dwelling western, uh, the ground-dwelling western bird is also threatened by oil and gas development, miners, ranchers, hunters, climate change. I mean, this bird has a tough life. Invasive grasses, <laughs> and now Kanye West. Mm. This, What's he doing? This spring, the rapper and presidential hopeful who purchased a sprawling ranch in Cody, Wyoming in 2019 got the go-ahead to expand development on his property, which happens to be situated in a key sage-grouse habitat. According to permits shared to Mother Jones uh, by officials from Park County, Wyoming, and reported by TMZ, West plans to add to his ranch several new structures. And when you think Wyoming... Just if you're not picturing these structures, there's something wrong with you. A two-bedroom lake house, two underground 10,000-square-foot parking garages, a 10-bedroom, a 52,000-square-foot residence, which coincidentally would be about the size of the White House. 52,000. Um, Holy shit. And this is where Kanye is reportedly registered to vote, by the way. Uh, he originally hoped to construct an underground meditation structure on the property, though it's unclear if the facility of that sort will be incorporated into these new plans. He did have his address listed on his latest permits, blah, blah, blah. Did not comment on the story. But it turns out that where the proposed construction is, thank you for this, Kanye, of West Ranch, falls in the, quote, core, unquote, sage-grouse habitat, an area designated by the state as important for the bird's survival. Weird. So it gets a lot more law and government after this, but basically this is not just about a quaint bird. This is about the very survival of an ecosystem and the non-desertification uh, of Western North America in the high desert. So there's our I guy. I don't understand why it was private property. Do you know what I mean? Like, if it was, if this has been determined to be critical to the species endangerment, like why, or non endangerment, like why, why was it being sold in the first place? It was protected by 2015 Obama administration bipartisan agreement uh, with cooperation between 11 Western states and federal government, but when. <laughs> Uh, but then it was not honored under the current administration who, so without getting too political, it was protected and now it's not. So Kanye can have a 52,000 square foot and two 10,000 square foot underground parking garages. Two 10,000 square foot parking lots. That's huge. Too many. 20,000 square feet. Like how many people are coming to your residence at the same time? And yeah. I bet you, I bet you, one's like just for roller skating or something. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. something fucking crazy. Yeah, north, <laughs> north is going to be a big rollerblader. You can feel that coming. <laughs> Anyways, I'm sure this is something you have to come up against in in any any of the animal sciences. It, it's constantly about conservation these days. 
It is. And you know what, like most lands that are really critical habitat for a lot of like threatened or listed species for, of conservation concern are privately owned. Like it's usually privately owned, um, but people cooperate, right? People cooperate. There's like a general consensus on this is important. So let's keep it sure. this way, you know? And as you said, like that's been compromised and the sage grouse doesn't need this. Like we need the sage grouse. They're just even an entertaining bird to have around. Like, yeah. They have these things called lex where the males will gather up and they like blow, like expose these bare or yellow patches on their chest and like shimmy around for the females. Cool. And it's just like, we need that. We don't yeah. need a 10,000 square foot meditation suite. We need lecking <laughs> sage grouse. Yeah. It's called lecking? L-E-K-K-I-N-G. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Are you guys ready for a next one? I think I think There's bring it on home, on buddy. I think it's you. I think this is new. This is a long one, let's, so I'm happy we have a little bit of time to get. Let's into wrap it. it up tight. This is fucking crazy. Oh, good. I don't even know. There's not even a. All right. So I am going to be quoting uh, from a Twitter thread, actually, which is all. It's all um, referenced uh, with links if you want to go look at it. Uh, uh, Twitter user at Ocean Yea, so O C E A N Y I A. Um, she's doing some translating from, uh, I guess, Portuguese, okay. uh, Brazilian newspaper. Great. Um, so here's the here's the, the 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 kind of the big things: marrying your adopted son, mm-hmm. ordering his murder, mm-hmm. becoming the center of an embezzlement scheme by posing as a church leader, uh-huh. holding blood rituals. Yes. All behind the facade of goodwill. Okay. This is the Flordellis case, one of the most insane stories coming out from Brazil. Okay. From Brazil. Okay. So here we go. Yes, sir. The basics. Flordellis dos Santos de Souza is a federal deputy from the state of Rio de Janeiro. Great. She was previously known for her work as a church leader and for having 55 children. 55. The vast more vast majority of them are adopted, okay. uh, obviously. The question one answer. Okay. Yeah. She's also a gospel singer. She has multiple albums available online. Wait a second. You can check them out. <laughs> um, the, 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 there are links to her albums on this uh, Twitter thread if you go and check it out. Okay. So, in 1993... She met Anderson Docarmo, okay. who she eventually adopted. Yes. Anderson then begun, began a relationship with Flor Delis's biological daughter, Simone. Okay. They eventually broke up, and Flor Delis married Anderson. Okay. Making Anderson his own stepfather? Question mark? Uh-uh. <laughs> uh, yes. Which, yes, it does make him his own stepfather. Great. Uh, Flordellis made the headlines last year after Anderson was murdered. Police soon caught up that something was amiss and that the case was not simply a robbery attempt gone wrong, as the family initially described. Okay. Now things start getting trippy. Lucas and Flavio, both sons of Flordellis, mm-hmm. were initially arrested for the murder. Mm. Lucas purchased the gun while Flavio was the one who shot Anderson over 30 times. Flavio, no! As the man arrived home. So let's just be clear. Let's just be clear. She married her son, yes. who became her stepfather. Yes. And then she had two other sons kill their stepfather, who was also their brother. And f- and the ex-husband the of her daughter. So her daughter's brother's <laughs> husband is now her dad. Stepdad. Yes, okay. exactly. Okay. 
Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and apparently, and the reason was is because Floridellis has like was had like control over the family finances and their political career. Um, I mean, like Floridellis texted her sons, like, "What can I do? I can't get a divorce. That would scandalize the name of God." But oh sure. Murder. Wait. <laughs> yep. What? <laughs> okay. And then there were this is crazy. There were six attempts at poisoning Anderson by sneaking arsenic into his meals. Yep. And then there's a screenshot of one of Flordellis's daughter's phones, and her search history is poison that's legal, poison that kills, Smooth. assassin, where to find. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I mean, this is so crazy. Um, and, it, you know, the, they say the so-called family was very, very bizarre. The first generation of adoptees, yeah, so. which were eight people, had better food and accommodations in the house. For the remaining, the relationship with Floridellis was far from motherly. Most say they felt used. Yeah, no shit. Mm. Um, a man who lived in the house in the late 90s described being forced to write Bible verses with his own blood and being kept in isolation for weeks as part of his initiation to what he called a cult. Yeah. Um, See, I forgot about that detail from from the beginning of the story. So now I'm just like reliving that shock. Oh yeah. my gosh! Fifty five people, and there it just keeps going on. It's so insane. Uh, like yeah. So her her biological daughter Simone used to serve as her own personal spy in the house. Not Simone. Uh, yes, Simone. Can you believe <laughs> it? Uh, with the big ears. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So here here's an addendum. Uh, that she writes because she's getting this question a lot. Flordellis, and I, and I apologize to any of our Brazilian listeners if I'm butchering all of these names. I apologize. Flordellis is 16 years older than Anderson. So according to this piece, they started dating when he was 14 and she was 30. Okay. And then they got married. Probably after a problem that. there. Well, uh, so the question is, is Floridellis arrested? Nope. She's a federal deputy, which means under Brazilian law. This is from August 25th. She might be arrested now, which means under Brazilian law that she has a whole lot of privilege when it comes to trials. Justice is slow, even when it comes to, slower, when it comes to powerful people. Uh, Whoa. And then there's a link to her gospel record. Oh, I bet they're great. <laughs> I forgot about the gospel record. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she's very powerful. Like they have pictures of her with the prime minister, uh, with or the justice minister. Like it's it's really really crazy. Wow. Yeah. That's a uh, pretty. That's, crazy. that's a. I mean, we just crossed over into my favorite murder territory with that one. We had a murder. Like we had cults. We got yeah. some real mix em ups. Um, <laughs> whoa, fifty five kids, mostly adopted. One marries your biological daughter, then they get divorced, then you marry them at fourteen. So how early were the other two married? And then right. you have them killed by two of your sons. Flavio is the trigger man. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And I just love the poisons that kill. Right. Yes. <laughs> As- assassin where to find. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I thought Did my dad mean? was crazy. Yeah. My dad's has eight my dad I have eight brothers well, I have eight there's eight siblings or seven. There's eight of us. Okay. Um from many different women. Because uh, wow. my dad loves getting it on. Yes, he does. I thought he was a crazy guy. Yeah, uh, this is this is much better. But it does sound like the, so. The whole family lived by donations because she oh, was like, "Look, I, I have this like huge, mm. I have this huge family. Like, give us money to take care of all of these kids." 
Uh, which, yeah, so it sounds like a crazy fucking cool cult that became a murder cult. Is there a temptation when you're a zookeeper and just an animal lover to like adopt every animal you see? I, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah, right? Nice segue. Nice segue. <laughs> As a zookeeper, no. I think like zookeeping kind of like drains the desire to take care of literally anything else. Out of you. <laughs> so I didn't even want a plant. Like if there's something that needed my attention to stay alive, it was not welcome in my home. Got so, it. but as as generally as an animal lover, it's like yes, the compassion, the the oversensitivity to animal suffering is there. So you know, I can I can I have seen people amass large quantities of of creatures. Yeah. out of that out of that spirit yeah and can you uh this is we've had guests on in the past who were all a little critical of zoos and can just because when you go to a zoo sometimes you see a bunch of animals in cages Mm -hmm. and there's a certain emotional response to that of like this animal is in a cage but can you kind of like draw a direct connection for us between like what zoos do for conservation uh and why they are necessary sure absolutely um and I think, you know, sometimes when people think of zoos, they kind of lump together, you know, Tiger King situations, right? Right. With Boo. like accredited zoos and aquariums, right? Yay. So accredited, zoo- <laughs> <laughs> accredited zoos are conservation organizations. And so um, every animal, so when you go to a zoo that's accredited again, when you go to a zoo and you see, you know, tigers or lions or elephants or penguins, whatever you see, those animals are, there's a lot of science, first of all, behind their care. So the way that they're cared for is based on the, their natural history needs, based on research done on their populations in the wild. Great. And when they're bred, they're bred very strategically. They're all part of what's called a species survival plan or SSP. So they're, 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 they're being um, paired together in a way to increase genetic diversity in human care. Because essentially wow. a good way to think about zoos is to think of it kind of like um, an ark. So if, you, if you're familiar with like the Bible story um, with Noah and the ark oh, yeah. and was destroyed, but there was this kind of like reserve population. Yeah. Zoos exist to make sure that species don't go extinct. Right. And, but people get to come and see because a lot of people don't know, are not, you know, aware of the plight of species around the world. But when you come to a zoo, you can kind of learn a lot about that and yes. see it for yourself. Um, and then also like zoos are paying for and actually doing um, in situ or in the wild research to, to, to conserve species and breeding endangered species, releasing them to the wild. There's a lot that's happening, um, both with um, science and the education of the general public. Um, mm-hmm. So zoos are something that we definitely need for wildlife conservation. Hell yeah. And before I forget, Karina, I'm sorry, just to go back to that Brazilian story for a second, That's that was first sent in. A lot of bananas sent that in, mm-hmm. that story in. But the first one uh, was Bia B. As she's at Bia Banduki uh, on Instagram. Thank you for sending Great that follow. in. Great follow. And you run uh, you run a mentorship pro- a program in zoos. Is that so correct? I, I'm no longer a zookeeper, and now I um, I just started a new job as community engagement manager for Georgia Audubon. I'm also a, oh. a grad student as well. Um, Congratulations! But, thank you. Very. But yeah. I have started um, I've started two programs that are kind of this mentorship. Um, or exposure experiences for, for kids who are interested in wildlife careers. Um, one at the Nashville Zoo, which still exists, but once I, when I left Nashville Zoo, I, of course, passed that on to a new, a new director. Um, and then one at Malone University, which is my alma mater, um, that kind of gets high school students engaged in wildlife careers. So, again, also pass that on to a new director, but both of them are still active and exist. And they essentially um, are there to bridge the gap between people who are not really represented 
in the zoo field or in the wildlife right. science field. Um, and the main reason why that is, is because there's a lack of exposure to those careers and a lack of representation. So they don't really see themselves. I didn't see myself represented until a black zookeeper reached out to me. Oh, that's, that's why I'm great. here. That's yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, and so that's great for everyone to know that those two programs are still going on in Nashville and at Malone College. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, was there anything you would like to plug before we go? Um, well, I if you're interested in following me on social media, um, on Please. Instagram, my handle is hood underscore underscore naturalist. So two underscores. Two there. underscores. And then on Twitter, it's hood one underscore Na- naturalist. Um, Did so someone grab your well. Instagram handle? Yeah, no, so I no no no. I had actually made so I made an Instagram and then I went to grad school and freaked out and was like, I don't have time for social media and I deleted it. And when you <laughs> delete it, it eliminates that handle from the pool forever. And so I couldn't get it back. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, that's a bummer. <laughs> I like that you really committed, though. You really committed. You didn't, like, put it on pause. You're, like, hard delete. Uh, yeah, I threw it away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great. Scotty, you want to say any last words? No, not really. Just, Karina, please come back, you know, when we can get out there in the world. And, I don't know. Next time you're in L.A., please take Kurt and I birding. We would be very honored and think that was amazing. That would yes. be incredible. It would be nothing but life birds for me, birds I've never seen, so I have to. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Come on out when this is over. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Bananas. 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 This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced and engineered by Katie Levine. Theme song by Kehan Amadi. And all of our artwork is done by Travis Millard. So please follow us on Instagram at The Bananas Podcast, where we post so many more stories and make it here. And you can share with us your strange news story by DMing us on Instagram at The Bananas Podcast. So listen, subscribe, and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bananas. Bananas. Bananas.